Hi everyone, and welcome to this series of additional recordings intended to provide you with information on some other legal issues you may encounter while doing disaster recovery work. After insurance, housing is one of the most common presenting legal issues that solicitors see at recovery centres. When people's tenancies are impacted by fire, flood and other disasters, we're often asked questions about clean-up and repairs, how to access the property and what to do about rental arrears. Where the property becomes partly or wholly uninhabitable, questions arise about how to terminate the tenancy, are they entitled to a rent abatement or rent reductions, and what happens to the bond. The legal issues are complex, compounded by practical issues of clients having limited affordable housing options. In this episode, we will hear from Melanie Bradfield from the Legal Aid New South Wales Specialist Housing Team. Hi, Mel. Thank you for being here today. So we're talking about housing issues um, that can arise in a disaster situation where maybe a tenant's home is damaged or there's a total loss due to a fire or flooding. So do you want to just quickly introduce yourself and talk us through some of those issues? Sure. So um, I'm Mel. I'm one of the solicitors in the specialist housing team. What we are focusing on in the housing team is renting. So we're not talking about home ownership or anything. In this situation, we're talking about private tenancies or social housing tenancies. Um, and what are the issues that come up when there's a kind of disaster? So there's a few main issues. The first issue is going to be whether or not the tenancy is going to end or be terminated. So um, in that situation, it you know what you're going to be thinking about is going to be dependent on if it's the landlord wanting to end the tenancy or if it's the tenant wanting to end the tenancy. If it's a landlord and they're issuing some kind of termination notice because the property is completely um, damaged or uninhabitable, then what's important to know is that the, the, the tenant doesn't have to leave until there's an order from the tribunal. So if they're being given a, a termination notice, that would be the first advice that you would give them if, if they're not in a position to move out yet or to find somewhere else. Um, but I think a lot of the time we're going to be seeing tenants who are wanting to end their tenancies because um, either the property is completely uninhabitable or it's so damaged that, you know, they're just making the choice to, to move somewhere else. Um, and the kind of notice that they're going to give is going to depend on whether the property is completely uninhabitable so that there's just no way that they can live there anymore. And in that case, then the agreement is completely frustrated. Um, or if it's not uninhabitable, you're going to be needing to think about whether or not it's a periodic tenancy, which is kind of a rolling tenancy, where it's a week to week, or whether it's a fixed term tenancy. So it's a one year tenancy in the, in the middle of that one year. Um, the property isn't completely uninhabitable, but they want to move out. They want to leave. Um, so that's kind of one of the biggest, one of the first issues. Then there's considerations around rent. So can the tenant stop paying rent if the tenant if the property is completely uninhabitable um, or getting a rent reduction for if part of the property is damaged and then getting repairs done? So those are kind of the main issues that you're going to be, need to be needing to be thinking about. So Mel, the point of um, this episode, I guess, is to let people know whose specialty isn't housing, how to spot housing issues and how legal aid can assist people with those kind of problems. So just very quickly, if you were a lawyer and this isn't your specialty, what are the things that we're looking out for that might scream, okay, housing tenancy problems? Uh, I guess if they're, they're saying things like they're homeless. So did they have a property before? Where were they living? What's happened to that? Um, have they made the choice to leave or has the landlord said that they need to leave? So, or, uh, well, yeah, I guess in this situation, 
they're going to come to you talking about the fact that there's some issue with their house, with their property. And you're going to be wanting to ask about if it's a private tenancy or a social housing tenancy to work out what to do and, you know, whether they want to stay in the property or whether they want to leave the property. And there may be, I mean, something probably the the housing team doesn't deal with all the time, but in these most recent floods of 2021 in the mid-north coast and western Sydney, there will probably be quite a few people who own their property as well. So is that something legal aid can help with? So the housing team wouldn't necessarily be looking to assist with that, but somebody who owns their property in a disaster situation is probably going to be needing advice about insurance. So that is something that legal aid can help with, and we do have um, consumer lawyers that can provide advice on insurance as well. So let's talk a bit more about rent reductions. So in what sort of situations can a rent reduction be applied for and how is that done? So there's a difference between a rent abatement and a rent reduction. So those, you know, those are the two different legal terms and there's two kinds of scenarios where you might ask for one or the other. So if we're talking about an abatement, that's where the property is partially or completely uninhabitable. So there's just no way that you can use the, the whole property or a part of the property is completely uninhabitable. So maybe an example in a flood scenario could be a two-story house and the bottom level is flooded out, but the top level is still okay. So you, know, you might be able to use the bedrooms upstairs, but you can't use the living area or anything else downstairs. So if that's the case, then tenancy law says that um, the rent just abates, which means that you just no longer owe rent for um, the whole property, for the whole property is uninhabitable or for those parts of the property that you can't use. Um, So you just don't have to pay rent for those parts. Um, Whereas a reduction is where there's, you're not going to be applying for a reduction if the property is uninhabitable, Um, but it's where you might've asked the landlord to do some repairs that have resulted from some kind of disaster and they haven't done that. And you, you know, you you don't want to be paying full rent for the whole property because you can't use it all. Um, So at that point where they failed to make um, the repairs, you can request a rent reduction. And the way that you would do either of those things is to put it in writing to the landlord as a first step. If it's only a partial amount of the property, a percentage, then you'd be kind of come up with what you think is a percentage that you believe that you should have the te- reduced. You know, that's there's no kind of specific formula around that. Tenants often ask, how much should I be requesting or how do I work that out? And obviously everyone's property is going to be really different. So you have to think about things like um, the impact of not being able to use a particular room. So if the kitchen is the area that is completely damaged and you're not able to use it, then that's going to have a much bigger impact than like the spare bedroom or something like that. So those are the kinds of things to think about. I mean, a very basic way to think about it is, you know, if two of the rooms in a five bedroom and a five room house are impacted, then you might ask for, um, you know, two fifths of a rent reduction. Um, but it's also worth thinking about the impact on the person of not being able to use that part of the property. And that might mean that you ask for more of a rent reduction. If that makes sense. Yeah, so it's a bit of common sense. As well, exactly, your... yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So if you've made a request to the landlord for these rent reductions or, you know, stopping renting at altogether, what if that's not successful? What's the next step? Yeah, so if the landlord refuses or doesn't respond or you can't even – you don't know where the landlord is. I know that in the current flood situations a lot of people are saying – I can't contact my landlord, um, then the option for you is to make an application to the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal. So the tenant can then apply and request an order for a rent reduction or an order for a rent rent abatement. There aren't um, specific time limits to make those applications. They do have to be made for a rent reduction. The tenancy still needs to be on foot, 
When it comes to a, a rent abatement, um, it's a bit complicated about whether or not there's a time limit. So if you're unsure about that, then contact the housing team and we can we can have a look at it and talk you through it. Great. That sounds good. Thanks, Mel. Okay, so let's go back as well to something you mentioned just before, which is issues with repairs. Um, if the home is not a total loss, what happens there? There is an opportunity, an option under the legislation for tenants to, um, if they've requested urgent repairs, um, so things that are really unsafe, like electrical wiring hanging out of the ceiling or, you know, a continuous leak as a result of, you know, the damage that's caused in a disaster, a tenant can go out and um, pay for those repairs to be completed themselves if the landlord hasn't responded to a request. But they can only do that up to a cost of $1,000 so that they can then claim that back from NCAT. Um, But the reality is for a lot of people, they're not going to be able to afford to go out and get you know, those repairs done or those immediate repairs done or the repairs which are urgent might cost more than $1,000. So if that's the case and they wouldn't be able to get that, they wouldn't be able to recoup the money from the tribunal. So really, if the landlord hasn't responded to a request for repairs or hasn't has said that they're going to do it but just hasn't come around to do it yet, then um, the tenant's option is to make an application to the tribunal to seek orders for repairs. I think in a lot of situations, the repairs are probably going to be quite urgent. So in that situation, you would tell tenants when they're making their application to make it really clear in their application that this is an urgent request and, and ask that it be listed urgently in the tribunal. And what's the um, time frame for getting a response? So the legislation says that the landlord has to act with reasonable diligence. Depending on what the repair issue is, there aren't specific time, you know, time frames in which they need to respond. But, um, you know, again, it's kind of common sense. If it's an electrical wiring issue, then you would expect them to respond, you know, in, within a couple of days. If it's an issue where the property is not completely uninhabitable, but there's right, you know, remaining dampness or there's an underlying issue that needs to be addressed so that it's not a problem in the future, then you pro- the landlord probably should be given more time to comply with that. But if the issue is really impacting on the tenant and the landlord just hasn't hasn't responded, then they should just be making an application to the tribunal. Um, there's always a process through the tribunal for conciliation, so to try to negotiate. And it may be that making that application forces the landlord to come to the table and they're actually able to resolve it without having to go and have a proper hearing about it. So um, even if the tenant's unsure if they've waited enough time, an application to the tribunal could kind of force the landlord to to actually engage with them and get something done. Okay, so I can imagine, though, uh, that there will be quite a lot of um, handyman-type people out there who are jumping on these urgent repairs because they are urgent and, you know, they can't wait or maybe they're still cut off from a fire or a flood, whatever it is, so they're doing it themselves. Is there any way, if they're up there fixing the electricals, if they're fixing their roof, if they're, you know, doing all of this, can they claim back anything? So they can claim back up to $1,000 as long as it's, a you know, the amount that they've spent is a reasonable amount. But beyond that, they wouldn't be able to claim that back from the landlord at law. You can always negotiate with your landlord. I mean, if you, if you think that the landlord isn't going to be able to get out there, maybe the landlord says to you, look, I do want to do those repairs, but because of, you know, we, we just can't get there. We can't get a tradesperson out in time because there's still major issues in terms of um, roadblocks and stuff like that. 
um, a tenant could negotiate with the landlord and say, look, if I do these repairs, will you pay me back? And try to come to an agreement about that. If you do, it's really important to have that in writing. But you wouldn't be able to just claim back any amount of money over $1,000. If you, for example, you kind of went and got the whole roof replaced, then you wouldn't be able to claim all of that back. You actually have to wait for the landlord to, to do that. Okay. And in, in that situation, would it be something that you would advise that they are taking photos of all of the work and videos of everything that looked before and then what it looks like after? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's one of the major themes of, of this kind of issue is that it's going to be really important for the tenant to, to make really, to keep as many records as they can of everything that's going on. So with repairs, you know, in, in the tribunal, you'll need to show that there was a repair issue and then the significance of that repair issue. And um, so taking photographs and keeping records and all of that kind of thing is going to be really important. And also for a rent reduction or a rent abatement, you're going to be needing to show the extent of the damage and, and justifying, you know, if you're claiming 50% rent reduction, well, why are you claiming that? So showing um, photographs of the property and of, and showing how severe that damage was. Okay, great. Um, I just also wanted to ask about how actually to make an application to NCAT. Yeah, so you can make applications um, online, so on the NCAT website, or um, you can do it on paper and file it in an NCAT registry. Um, a lot of people in regional remote areas aren't going to have an NCAT registry nearby. You can also file it in Service New South Wales, but you know, an online application is probably the most simple way of doing it, especially if you're a lawyer and you're assisting someone to do that. In terms of the amount of detail you need in an application, <clears throat> you don't need very much detail. You just need to identify the section of the legislation that you're claiming, whatever it is. So if it's a rent reduction, you're going to be claiming under section 44. Obviously, if you need backup on that, please contact the housing team and we can talk you through. If you've agreed to do some minor assistance for somebody, and which includes helping them with an application, we can help you work out exactly what sections of the legislation you need to reference in the application. But other than that, you just need to give a brief, an explanation of why you're seeking that. So, you know, there was a flood on X date and there was, you know, X, Y, Z damage occurred to the property. Um, I requested these repairs from the landlord on this date. They weren't done. I'm now seeking an order for repairs and rent reduction. That would be kind of the extent of the detail that you would need in the application. But again, if you need any backup or, um, from the housing team, we're always happy to talk. It's also really worthwhile noting that there are tenancy services across New South Wales who were also really involved in this space and have a huge amount of expertise. So referring clients to them if you're not able to, 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 um, to assist in, but you think that somebody might need a bit of extra assistance. So the way to find somebody's local tenancy service is to go to tenant, the Tenants Union website and they have a handy tool where you can just type in a postcode and it will tell the local tenancy service. If you need more information, there'll be links in the podcast notes um, for other services as well. Awesome. Okay, great. Well, thank you for all of that, Mel. Just before we finish up, you know, if the lawyers listening remember absolutely nothing else from today, what are your top tips? My top tips are if somebody comes to you about any issue, ask them about their housing as well and what their circumstances are, um, whether they've got a roof over their head and whether they want to stay there or move out. And then on top of that, I would be advising tenants just to keep records of everything that, that happens, take photographs of the property, take keep every, as much correspondence in writing with the landlord and contact the housing team for backup if you need help. We're always here and happy to help. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mel. 